Amen. He's the Lord of all. Great to see all of you this morning. And uh, we're, today we're going to be looking at the uh, same passage we looked at last week, Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Philippians. <laughs> got the wrong book. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. And, uh, but we're actually going to start in Ephesians. Um, and so let's just uh, bow before the Lord and ask him to bless his word as we uh, look at it today. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we thank you for your word, the power that it has, the power to change our lives, the power to uh, purify us, as your word says. And so, Father, we come before you today and we ask that you would purify us with your word. We pray that you would uh, open up our ears, help us to understand, not just hear, but understand, and also to apply it to our lives. Lord, that we might be your disciples, that we might be uh, your people in this earth, and that we would have a light to shine before others in this world. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, guide me as I speak your word. May I speak it in power and in truth. Uh, so, uh, Lord, I need your help in this. And I pray for us as a congregation, Lord. May we not only hear your word, but be doers. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going we're to just have a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. We're going to put it up on the screen here. Um, and this is kind of a weird start to this message. But it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it might go well with you, and that you might enjoy a long life, or enjoy a long life on the earth. Obey and honor, two simple things that children are required to do by the scriptures. So all of you kids that are here, this is for you. <laughs> Obey your parents, honor them. Um, now I used to think that this command was in the scriptures for the sanity of parents, right? Uh, here's the, the Bible telling your kids, you know, that you have this good authority to tell your kids to obey you, and and uh, that will make your life easier. It'll help you uh, raise them properly. It'll just it's just a big help if they have this if you have this extra cloud of the Bible telling your kids what to do, not just you. Uh, but I don't think this is really that much about parenting, so much as it is for the benefit of the children to learn how to obey and how to honor people in general um, it's about preparing kids for life really the bible is very concerned that children grow up to be productive and well-formed beings and if we don't learn how to obey and honor when we're kids you know what happens when we get to school <laughs> we're in the principal's office more often than not and then when we get out into real life, we can't seem to hold down a job because they tell us to do stuff and we're not used to obeying. <laughs> and, and so a lot of times, you know, a lot of people who are, are struggle in this area, who never learned how to obey or how to honor other people, they end up being self-employed because they just can't handle someone else being over them, telling them what to do. And, and this is kind of a deficit. And as Christians, if we've never learned to obey and, re, and honor people as children, we're going to have to figure out how to do that sometime later on in life. We're going to have to figure out how to 
obey and honor our spouse, how to obey and honor the authorities uh, that govern us, uh, the government and, and various things. These are very difficult for people who never learned how to do that as a, ch- as a child. Um, you see, when you, learn, when you obey and honor people as a child, it does something to your heart. It changes who you are. And it's one of the secret ingredients for success in life. Um, so, as this, as this says, there's a promise with this command that it might go well with you. So, in other words, the Bible is actually saying, this, if you obey this command, there's going to be some benefit in your life. It's going to go well with you. Things are going to go smoothly. Now, how many of you have ever had a job performance evaluation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, a lot of times when you get a job performance evaluation, your boss or your manager or whoever, he comes, he comes prepared with this sort of evaluation form. And it's got all these little boxes. You know, they're, they're either marked like from 1 to 5 or 1 to 10. And, and they evaluate you on all these different things. And uh, I had a look at one of these uh, this week. And uh, I discovered a few things uh, about, I, I kind of perused it with this idea in mind of, if you learned obedience as a child, what would you be like as a worker? And what would your evaluation report tend to be like? And so I asked it for, for the two, two things that are talked about here, uh, obedience and honoring. And uh, this is what I came up with. These, these are things right from the job uh, performance review. Uh, and this is what I think those who are learned obedience as children, they don't have a problem with these things. Completes job without being reminded. Able to do tasks without constant supervision. Completes tasks thoroughly. Is persistent. Accomplishes the job to the manager's expectations. Reports to the supervisor with progress reports. Manages time efficiently. Acts in the best interest of the organization. Completes tasks in a timely manner. Is punctual. Oh, there's a doozy. (laughs) Doesn't use company time for personal business. Can you see it? Do you see what happens? The, The child who learns obedience just is better in the workforce because they're used to doing what other people want them to do. But honor is something completely different, right? Honor isn't just about getting the task done. Honor is about interpersonal relationships. And so have you ever seen those on a job performance interview? Uh, For sure. These are some of the things that someone who has learned to honor their parents would find. Gets along with fellow employees. Respects the rights of others. Shows a cooperative spirit. Listens to others seeks to improve the organization, promotes a team attitude, is courteous with customers and vendors, is pleasant to be around. Interesting, eh? Well, we carry over from our youth into our adult life. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're, as a child, you never learn these things, it doesn't mean that you can't get them. Certainly, they're available in Jesus Christ. And he gives us power to be humble, to be Uh, honoring to other people, to be obedient to other people. But in the passage today that we're going to look at from Philippians, this word honor fits the bill exactly 
to what Paul is talking about when it comes to his response, our response to all the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, the passage today is kind of strategic for our lives and, and for honoring the Christian faith. So let's just take a moment to read uh, verses 3 to 5 from Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but it seems to me like those three verses are a pretty good description of honoring other people above yourselves. That's what Paul actually calls us to do in, in uh, Romans. Honoring is not just for kids, my friends. It's for all of us. Obedience is not just for kids. It's for all of us. It's something that we learn. And God calls us to, to honor other people. There are three verses here. In each of the verse, each verse has its own particular aspect of honoring. And we're going to go through those things. Uh, Spirit-filled Christians just totally get along with one another better than other people do. They do a better job in the marketplace. They do better in their family lives. They're just better all around. That's who Christians are. And just to prove the point that it's not just children who need to honor, the Bible describes nine situations in which we're supposed to honor someone else. First is we're to honor God. Secondly, we're supposed to honor elders and pastors, those who are over you in the Lord. We're supposed to honor widows. In other words, those who are outcasts, those who are having a hard... Not outcasts, that's the wrong word. Those who are having a harder time in life and struggling. We're to honor them. Uh, orphans, same thing. We're to give honor to them. We should. The Bible says we need to honor marriage. We need to honor our own body, according to the Bible. We need to honor government leaders. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but we're to honor them. The Bible says, husbands, honor your wives. There's another. Oh, no, that's not a tough one. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's really important that we honor our spouses. Um, wives should respect their husbands. Same idea. Eight times in the Bible... The Bible says, children, honor your parents. Why? As I've just mentioned, it's because that's where it all starts. This idea of honoring. Uh, that's where you learn it. You learn it at home. Now, the word honor doesn't actually appear in our text in, in these three verses. Uh, although some, uh, some translate the last part of verse 3 as honor one another above yourself. Same, same basic idea. Uh, and so there's this, this idea of honoring throughout the whole thing. Uh, so the first thing about honoring people is that it's the opposite of selfish ambition. I'm telling you, we all have some selfish ambition in us, don't we? We want to get ahead. We want to look out for ourselves. We want to do well. Um, and, and there's nothing horrible about selfish ambition except for the selfish part. <laughs> The ambition's okay, but the selfish part, not so much. Uh, there's just nothing good about that. 
Um, you see, the opposite of honoring people is looking out for yourself. Honoring yourself, as it were. Thinking that you're someone special. Have you ever met the person who thinks they're someone special? <laughs> they're annoying people to be around. <laughs> That's what this is talking about. That's the opposite of our honoring other people. When you think other people are special, and you honor them because they're special, that's, that's what this is talking about. Yesterday, if you were at Betty Hobbs' funeral, person after person came up here and talked about how she honored other people above herself. Just one after the other. You just kept going over and over and over. She was a person that lived this out. She honored other people more than everybody to her was special didn't matter if if they didn't seem really important in the social strata of things or whether they were really important she honored them more than her own self and if anyone didn't have selfish ambition it was betty hobbs she was always out there looking out for other people so honor is thinking about others and treating them special but selfish ambition vain conceit considers yourself special Stay away from that. Um, you know, in practical terms, what does this mean? This means that when you're having a conversation with someone, and we've all had this conversation with someone, it's really boring, and they're going on and on and on about their life and about their stuff and everything, and, it's, and like you just have absolutely no interest in this thing. You honor that person... When you tell yourself this person is important and what they're sharing with me is important to them, and so I'm going to honor them and listen, and I'm going to be the person that engages with them on this, on this subject. Honoring other people comes at a time when people, those people who are just draining on us, they just sap you of your energy, your time, your money, everything. We honor them by giving them our time, giving them our money, giving them our attention, all those things. Um, so this isn't just, you know, all the, the people that are worthy of our honor and respect. No, no. This is everybody. Honor one another above yourselves. And so during this pandemic, uh, to make this really practical, honoring people above yourselves means that there's sometimes people have a different opinion than you. And to honor them when you're with them is really important. So some people are quite frightened by, by the virus. To honor them, you need to wear a mask, keep your distance. That's how you honor people who have, and maybe for yourself, you're like, ah, this mask thing is ridiculous. Ah, you know, the, the vaccines are, I don't need to do all that stuff, you know. Maybe that's you, but there are other people who don't feel that way. And to honor them, we wear a mask. To honor them, we do what we can. Now, there's some people who have medical issues with wearing a mask. They, you know, maybe they lack oxygen or, or they're on oxygen or, or whatever, and they, they can't wear a mask. And so how do we honor those people? Well, we give them the space to exist as well. And so, you know, it doesn't matter which side of this equation you're on and, and, and you know, or or in regards to mandates, uh, vaccine mandates, and all that stuff. It doesn't really matter what place you want. The Bible calls us to honor one another above ourselves. And that means changing the way we behave towards other people. 
helping to accommodate people who don't think the way we think, who are different than us. And that's not always easy. It's tough sometimes. I, I understand that. But that's what the call of God is. That's how we honor one another above ourselves. Well, let's go on to verse 4. Verse 4 is kind of interesting. Each of you should look not only to our, his own interests, so it's not evil to look to your own interests, so it's saying that's allowed, but also to the interests of others. In other words, what's normally expected is that we would look after ourselves. But Paul is saying we'll look after other people. Have you ever seen that happen where people just look out for other people even though they could benefit themselves instead? Uh, I've seen this so many times, and it's just warming to my heart. But the best example is Jesus Christ himself, right? He constantly taught that we ought to do, go above and beyond. You know, I mean, what did he say when someone hits you on one cheek? What are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. That's not easy, (laughs) you know? They shouldn't be smacking you in the face anyways. And here, here the Bible says, well, let them do the other one too. And, and what does it say about, about when someone take, sues you for your shirt? Yeah, you give them your coat too. And when someone asks you to carry their stuff for a mile, what do you do? You carry it for two miles. That's where going, going the second mile comes from, right? It's, it's doing, it's going beyond. That's what this verse is about. That's how you honor people about... Uh, uh, not look to your own interests, but the interests of others. You honor other people when, when you go, go above and beyond what's expected. You just do more. You know, when uh, Jesus, Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Have you ever tried that? Someone's just like, you bleep, 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 what are you, blah, 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 blah. And you, and you turn around, hey, well, God bless you, my friend. And they're like, bah! you know, it makes them matter. That's what the Bible actually says will happen when you bless people that curse you. You'll actually hear heat burning coals on their head. Uh, but it, it's pretty wild that God calls us to bless our enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And it's not just what he taught. He also lived it. He had this idea of going beyond what was expected, didn't he? You know, when people were crowding around Jesus and they were bringing their little kids for him to bless them, and the disciples said, hey, you know, get the little kids out of here. He's a teacher of theology, you know. Kid, that's not for kids. And Jesus said, no, 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 let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He went beyond their expectations. You know, when Jesus was, was traveling through Samaria, he was tired. He sat down by the well, and a woman of Samaria came, and he started talking to her and explaining the gospel to her. And the disciples came back, and they were astonished to see him talking to not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. They are like, this is weird, man. You see, Jesus went beyond their expectations. He did something strange. Uh, you know, when, when the, the lady of the town came and, and was crying on Jesus' feet and wiping his, her, his feet with her hair, and the Pharisees said, well, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And, and Jesus went far beyond the expectations and said, look, she's been forgiven from lots of things. You've been forgiven for little, talking to the Pharisee. And he went beyond the expectations. And he loved on her even though... You know, 
she was what we would call a sinful woman or what was called a sinful woman. But she received forgiveness and was blessed for it. Jesus constantly was going up beyond expectations, healing where people didn't expect it, uh, raising the dead when people didn't expect it. He was constantly doing that. And that's what it means to honor someone, is to go beyond their expectations. Again, Betty Hobb comes to mind. <laughs> if you've ever been at had her house and enjoyed a meal with her, uh, amazing lady, always went above expectations. Uh, you know, the other day I was I was at uh, Walmart and I was looking for some safety chains for my trailer. And uh, I walked in the store, you know, and I asked someone, hey, uh, where are the safety chains for trailers? And they're like, oh, I'd be in uh, automotive. It's uh, down there, you know. And if you've ever been in Walmart, the thing's enormous, right? You're like looking around. So then I found another person that asked them the same question, you know, where are the safety chains? And the guy says, uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I know where those are. Come here, I'll show you where they are. And he took me. Now, that's customer service. That's going beyond what was expected. I expected him to say, oh, aisle number five. You know, it's somewhere around. No, but he actually took me and showed me exactly where they were. That's going beyond what is expected. Uh, and so it is what we're called to do with one another. When someone asks you for a favor, double it, triple it. Go beyond what is expected. Uh, when when you're when you see a need in the congregation, do the unexpected thing. Help out right away without being asked. Um, customer service is what Christians ought to be really good at uh, because of this aspect. In Ephesians 6 verse 6, the, the message says, don't just do what you have to do to get by. Work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter what happens to, or no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. What an awesome thing. Well, he tops this off with verse 5. In verse 5, he talks about having a good attitude. This attitude ought to be that of Jesus Christ. Uh, the word, uh, this, uh, do we have a, I'm not sure, no, it's not there. Never, go back up two slides maybe. One more? There we go. That's the only slide I have. Sorry, I didn't get all my slides in order today. Uh, any relationships with one another have the same mindset or the same attitude as Christ Jesus. There's an attitude or a mindset that we need to have. This mindset I talked about last week, same word. It's this uh, concept of where your, your, your whole being is set around an idea. And um, so... It's an attitude. This whole idea of honoring one another, it's an attitude you decide to have before you have it. Okay? So you, we've all met the people with a, a, a nasty attitude, right? Everything's bad. Everything's lousy. Every, nobody's doing anything. The government's bad. The government's evil. The, the COVID is bad. Everything's bad. Everything's, you know. And when they walk into a room, it's just discouraging, Right? But we need to have the, this positive attitude that Christ had. Uh, you know, if you look in your Bibles, to, in uh, verse uh, 14, just, just, or no, verse 12, actually. Um, I need to look it up because I don't have it written here. Uh, it's good to preach with your Bible open to the passage you're preaching on. <laughs> uh, 
uh, well, in verse 12, it says, therefore. So he's going through this whole pro- process of saying, you know, consider other people better than themselves, have the same mindset, have the, be one in, a, one in accord with one another, all these things. And then he says, therefore, in verse 12, and then in verse 14, he, he kind of points out, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you might become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars of the universe. Uh, this, is a, this is awesome. This whole thing about honoring other people better than yourself, it means, in part, that we end up not complaining and grumbling and griping. And all the different translations have uh, all these different things. And arguing is one of the things. But we put that aside because when you're honoring other people better than yourselves, arguing doesn't have a lot of bite. I mean, you can discuss and you can debate, but arguing? No, that's not really for believers. We put that aside. We do that without that, complaining, uh, arguing. So this is the whole attitude that we ought to have. So we focus so far on this idea of honoring other people through opposite of selfishness, selfish ambition, putting other people above ourselves. It's going the second mile and then having the right attitude, not an attitude of, of argumentative or complaining, but an attitude the same of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to have a look at what that means. And so as an example of this, we're going to go to slide 10. Guy, uh, Matt, can you go to slide 10? No, that's not slide. There we go. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So I'm just going to read this. This is Christ's attitude. It's an incredible attitude. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. You know, sometimes we take our position and we use it for our advantage. As a pastor, I can do that, you know. People are really willing to do what I ask them to do. And I can abuse people if I want to. I try not to do that. It's not right. As husbands, as the head of the home, you can abuse your authority. But that's not the attitude that Jesus Christ had. You know, you might have a high position where you work. But Jesus' attitude was not to take the high position that he had in very nature being God. He didn't take that. He didn't grab it and use it. Uh, Other translations say uh, something to be grasped, something to be held onto. He didn't hang on to his deity. He wasn't like, okay, I, I can just let that go. Rather, he made himself nothing. Have you ever made yourself nothing? Taking on the very nature of a servant. You know, sometimes when I'm repairing the toilets of the church, I feel like, oh, this, this is what Jesus would have done. <laughs> you know? This is what Jesus would have done if he was here. So then I, I take joy in that, you know. Uh, and, you, you know, when you're, when you're cleaning up a dirty di- diaper or, you know, like, or, or some horrible mess that somebody made in your family, then you're taking the attitude of Jesus Christ. 
You're taking the attitude of a servant. And he became in human likeness. So you got God becoming a human. It's almost unfathomable. And it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. And we're going to be talking about this a bit more in a second. And he found to be in appearance as a man. So he, he appeared as a man. In fact, in, we find out from other passages in the scriptures that he was, in fact, very much 100% a man. Uh, but he was God also. So he was God veiled in a man. It's kind of wild. It's hard to wrap our heads around this. But then he did something absolutely dramatic. God is eternal. But as a man, Jesus submitted to death. And not just any old death. Death on the cross. So, you see the progression, the attitude that Jesus had? He goes, oh, me being God, nothing I need to hang on to here. I'm going to become human. Cool. And not only is he going to become human, but he's going to submit himself to people who will murder him. And remember last week I talked about the fact that he could have called 12 legions of angels to come to his rescue. So he did this purposefully. It was on purpose, all of it, even the death on the cross. So, you know, if you say your spouse is doing hard, you're hard done by by your spouse, don't forget what Jesus went through for you and his attitude. And so we're supposed to call have the same attitude. Maybe you're hard, hard, hard done by by your boss, has a really nasty attitude towards you. And I've counseled people with this, and, and we've gone to this very passage, and we've discovered that attitude of Jesus Christ in these very difficult situations that we find ourselves in. And what, what Paul says in, in Romans chapter uh, 8 is that when we do this, when we have this attitude, we allow God to be the judge. See, if we take the judgment on our, upon ourselves and we say, oh, my spouse is, is terrible and we condemn them, or if we take our, our, the attitude on ourselves and say, my boss is an idiot and he, you know, he's such a jerk and we complain about him to everybody, then we're taking the, ju- God's, the judgment away from God. But God says he will be the judge in these situations. He will change the situation for us when we have the attitude of Christ. I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing to have the attitude of Christ. When you're in the middle of uh, some borderline abusive situation. You know, there is a time where it is important for believers to respect the temple of the living God and get out of an abusive situation. Uh, But never, never is a time for retaliation or taking judgment into our own hands. Um, So I just wanted to make sure that you understood that. So this is the attitude that Jesus Christ had. So now I want to switch gears completely and talk about these three verses. Because these three verses have theology in them that is really powerful and really unusual. And I'd like to just go there. So uh, I'm going to and now these were written as an example for us to have a, that kind of attitude. Um, but this, this passage starts with these two words that I've highlighted here. In very, no, back up, stay up there. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. There we go. No, no, down. 
Yeah, I'm really messing up here. I, I didn't get my slides in very good order. This is all my fault. Be in the very nature of God. This word is, uh, or in, in the, it's often translated in the very form of God. And he became the, he had the, took the form of a servant. This word in the Greek is uh, morphous. And it, and it means to become or, or to, to, in its very nature, be. Uh, and then he uses it to, to change. Um, and then, so what's really weird about this is that he is in very nature God. And he took on the very nature of a servant, the very form, the very morphe of a servant. So in other words, he took on two natures completely. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. And we have trouble with 200% because to us that, ma- that makes 200%. And you can't have, you know, like we, we struggle with this concept. But that's who Jesus Christ was. Um, he's 100% God, 100% man. And then there's this other word in here. Now that next slide. Please, kenosis. This word means emptying. Um, in, in our word, in our uh, passage, um, it says that he, he made himself to be like. But in the Greek, it's, it's literally he emptied himself of something by taking on the form of a servant. So what did Jesus empty himself of to take on this form of a servant? Well, he one of the things he didn't empty himself of is his deity. He remained God. And we see this all through the, the New Testament. Um, even though he emptied himself of something, he didn't empty himself of being God. Um, he emptied himself of the privileges of being God, but not of the being God himself. It was a self-renunciation. He wasn't going to use what he had so that he could be fully human. And a fully human person can't be some of the things that God is. So Jesus took those things and he just moved them aside. He says, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do and be what I could be. I'm going to just set all that aside so that I can be 100% human. Uh, and so that's what he did. And, and we call this process kenosis. In fact, this whole passage is often called the kenosis passage. Um, now, Jesus said in John 14, 9, uh, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm still God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. In, in John chapter 8, verse 53, uh, Jesus, people were asking who Jesus was. And Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What was he claiming to be there? He was taking on the very name of God, Jehovah. Yeah, I'm sorry, Yahweh. Uh, and, and same, similar word, yeah. And, and so he's, he actually used the name of God to describe himself. And he noticed the tense in this sentence. It doesn't even make sense. Before Abraham was, I am. He was clearly using what, Mo, what God, how God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses said, hey, who do I tell the people of Israel who's, who's sending me? And God said, tell them I am sending you. And Moses is like, I'm supposed to say I am sending me? Yeah. Very strange <laughs> word for God. And so Jesus 
He's using this. And so the, the Jewish people at the time, they recognize this right away. He's claiming to be God. In, in John 10, verse 33, the Jews answered him, It is not for the good works that we are about to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself be God. They were clear about this. He was claiming to be God over and over again. Uh, in Colossians, it says, For him, all fullness of the divinity dwells in bodily form. So Jesus didn't give up his divinity. Uh, in Hebrews 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, if Jesus is still upholding the universe by the word of his power while he was on earth, he was still divine. Uh, So what did Jesus set aside? Well, God, I'm going to list a bunch of things that God is, that in order to become fully human, Jesus set aside for a period of time. He emptied himself of that characteristic. One of the characteristics is that God is infinite. Jesus, no human is infinite. We have a beginning, we have an end. We, we aren't infinite in any stretch of the imagination. We're confined to a body. And Jesus, while he was on earth, was finite. Because to be human is to be finite. And so Jesus, so Jesus limited his infant infiniteness for the time being god is self-sufficient he has absolutely no needs well we find as we go through the scriptures that jesus had needs <laughs> he i mean he got tired he needed sleep uh, remember when he when he met with the uh, the woman by the well it says that he was tired from the journey and sat down by the well And another time, Jesus said to his apostles, uh, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Another time, Jesus was sleeping in the boat. I mean, Jesus needed rest. God doesn't rest. But Jesus did. Uh, Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. uh, God has emotions too. Uh, Maybe that's not a good one. (laughs) Uh, But um, when they were leaving for Bethany, the same kind of time period, Jesus was hungry. Jesus needed food. God doesn't need food. Jesus needed food. So these are the things that Jesus set aside. He set set aside his self-sufficiency. He now became dependent. When he was a baby, he was dependent upon his mother. He wasn't self-sufficient. And this whole, you know, uh, sleeping in the baby, in the manger, no crying he makes, yeah, I don't think so. I think when he was thirsty and hungry, that baby cried because that's the only option he had for making it known that he was thirsty. Um, In fact, the Bible says that Jesus also said he was thirsty. I'm thirsty. So he's not, he put aside his self-sufficiency. But next, God is immutable. Immutable, big word. What does it mean? It's a theological word that means not changing. God doesn't ever change. But guess what? Jesus changed. He was born as an infant. He grew up. The Bible actually says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. In other words, he changed. 
when he was a, a baby, he had limited knowledge. He didn't know everything because he had put aside his deity. Uh, he didn't use that. And so like, it's hard to imagine not using something that you have, that you are. But he did that because he's God. He was able to do that. Uh, nothing's impossible with God. God is all wise. He's perfect, unchanging wisdom. And yet, we saw in just this verse right here that Jesus grew in wisdom. So he changed. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Guess what? Jesus was human. He wasn't everywhere. He was only in one spot. I don't think we need verses to, to talk about that. You know, God is all glorious. In fact, when people look at God, they, they perish because he's so glorious. And when God showed himself to Moses, he said, hey, I'll put you in this rock and I'll turn my back and then you can see my, just my back and it'll be so glorious and you won't die then. God is all glorious. And Jesus said, uh, when he was praying, I have brought glory to you on earth, finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before in, with you before the world began. In other words, Jesus used to have glory, but he set it aside for this period of time when he was on earth. So all these things Jesus set aside. Now, because Jesus was God, some of God's characteristics, the ones that aren't inherently contradicting the human nature, remained in Jesus. God is holy, right? Well, the Bible says that Jesus never sinned. So in other words, Jesus was still holy while he was on earth. So he had a characteristic of God that continued on with him, but it didn't conflict with being human. We all aspire to be human, to be holy, and he points out that you can actually be. And there's many of these things. Um, uh, faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy, love. These are all attributes of God that were found in Jesus Christ. But they don't conflict with being human. So he was able to maintain those and be human uh, at the same time. God, And then we come to two... Two, two um, attributes of God that kind of cross between the human and the divine. And they are, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But the Bible says that Jesus himself said that the, the day that he's coming back, even the Son doesn't know when that is. In other words, Jesus said, I have limited knowledge. I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows that. In other words, he'd set that aside. Now, we also know that the Bible says that Jesus knew their thoughts over and over again. In, in Matthew 9, 4, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said. Um, Luke 9, 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts. So how did he know their thoughts if he didn't have divine knowledge? Uh, and in fact, the apostles a couple of times said, now we see that you know all things. Uh, both Peter said that and... Uh, I forget who the other people were. So how how did Jesus access this knowledge if he didn't know everything? So there's a bit of a conundrum there. And then there's this, God is omnipotent. God can do any, everything. Was Jesus omnipotent? I mean, he walked on water. 
He calmed the storm. He raised the dead. He himself raised, was raised from the dead. So he has this appearance of being omnipotent. He can do anything, you know, and certainly he could. But listen to what Jesus himself says. I can do nothing by myself. What? That doesn't even make sense. I thought he was God. Yes, he's God. But I believe that he set aside even his omnipotence. He set aside even his omniscience, his all-knowingness. He set those things aside. And the reason that he could know people's thoughts and the reason he could walk on water and do all those things is because of his baptism. Do you remember what happened at his baptism? The Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form as a dove and filled him with the Spirit of God. In other words, I believe up till this point in Jesus' life, Jesus had, had set aside all of those attributes of God, and he relied on the Holy Spirit and upon his Father, his Heavenly Father, to do the miracles, to do all of that stuff, to know people's thoughts. All of that was available to him by his dependence upon God. Isn't that amazing? You might have thought like, oh, Jesus is God, so he can do anything. He says himself twice, I can do nothing by myself. What in the world? Really? Yeah, because he set aside that part of himself to be fully human, to really engage with us and be tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. This is who Jesus was. And to me, this gives incredible, it's an incredible blessing uh, I, I'm just amazed because this is what Jesus says. Um, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, we're just like Jesus. Without God, Jesus can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, he says he could do nothing. And we're like that. Now Jesus has gone to heaven. He's resumed his, his, all of his glorious deity uh, and all of his attributes. He's, he, 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 he put them aside. He never got rid of them. And now he has them all again. He's everywhere present. He's all powerful. He's all those things he always was. But he hasn't set them aside now. And so now he, we can do everything through him who strengthened us. And he says a couple of verses later, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think this is the most amazing passage in the Bible, or one of the most, I think many passages are. But this idea that Jesus did all of those miracles, that Jesus did, lived his life in such close communion with God the Father that he was dependent on the Father and on the Holy Spirit to do all these things. I mean, the Bible even says that right after his baptism, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit led him out to be tempted. And what was Jesus tempted to do? He was tempted to use his power for himself. Tempted to make rocks into bread. Tempted to jump off a, a temple to get glory for himself. Tempted to, to bow down and worship so that everybody else would worship him as a shortcut. He was tempted to use all of his power for himself. But he realized, no, this is a temptation by the devil. And he was here to use all of his power for other people. 
And he calls us to do the same. That's what this passage is all about. It's humbling ourselves, but still having access to the power of God to do the work of God. It's an awesome thing. Uh, I've run out of time a long time ago. <laughs> I'm sorry for going so far overboard. But, over time. But I'd like us to pray and just thank God that he has given us this authority. The authority of Christ to do the things that Jesus did and even greater things Jesus said. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us the way by becoming a man, a real man, with real thoughts and real passions and doing it all for us. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us to be just like you, to reject the authority and power that that we have naturally and only use it for other people's benefits, to not grab a hold of our sonship of the Almighty, of our princes, being princesses and uh, princes and and uh, princesses. Lord, that's who we are, but we don't grab a hold of those things. We've come to be servants. But Lord, we pray that you would also empower us to be servant like Jesus Christ, to be walking in the power of the Spirit, doing miracles and, and having wisdom and knowledge, having the, the gifts of the Spirit in abundance, Lord, like Jesus had. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to walk along like he did. And Lord, it gives us great encouragement to know that Jesus was dependent of the same way we need to be dependent. So Lord, help us to be those things in Jesus' name. Amen.